Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And I hope you have your your nachos and your uh, big <laughs> foam fingers that say angel number one on them, because this episode, we are going to go through the entire rest of our uh, uh, Malibu Madness tournament and crown a 2020 champion. Yes. I am psyched. I feel like I should put on sports announcer voice. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. We're here at the stadium where I don't know. I literally don't watch sports. So except except for the king of sports, obviously. Right, but, right. Like, Pro wrestling, the king of sports. Yes. <laughs> We're here at the empty stadium from uh, the four pound brick where Jim oh, found yes. <laughs> the uh, the cartridges from a handgun. Um I'm just recalling that because I was quickly looking through that episode, looking for something that I did not find. But <laughs> that leads me to a quick uh, note. Uh, we definitely got a couple references wrong in our previous episode, uh, including at least one of our category choices or one of our at least one of our entries into the tournament. Um, yeah. So if you were listening to that episode and we're going like, that's not right. That's not in that episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Um, we have been doing this show for four years. Uh, some of this stuff <laughs> kind of combines in our memory. We'll go over those when we get to them. Um, yeah. As far as I could tell from reviewing all of this stuff for this episode, um, nothing's like dramatically wrong. We just kind of conflated a couple things. I just want to apologize for consistently calling Dennis Derrick last episode. <laughs> I think that I don't know why I didn't remember his real name. I edited all that out. So <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining the podcast where I'm talking about Dennis uh, just every <laughs> single time Dennis is mentioned. Mm -hmm. I've watched quite a bit of, of Rockford files, which has been uh, a delight. It's been really fun. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to stop them. I yeah. don't know if, like, you've experienced this, but, like, when I put him in and I kind of, you know, fast forward to the section that we're trying to look at and I'm watching that section and then it just keeps going. <laughs> and at some point I'm like, I don't, I got to move on to the next thing. And I think, to my, like, my brain doesn't realize I can stop it, right? <laughs> like, there's nothing going on in my brain saying, oh, you should stop watching this delightful television show and move on to the next bit. I definitely had that. And I also definitely had the experience of, especially for some of the ones that we haven't, that we, that we first went over uh, in our early yeah. episodes. Um, I definitely had the experience of watching it, starting to remember more about the episode and then being like, oh, here's this thing that could have been one of our yes. things, right? Like <laughs> every episode has like four things that could be in there for rock traditionists and like two dialogue choices. Um, so that is a lot, um, puts a lot more weight on the whole, uh, you know, keep in mind that this is really a function of our memory as yeah. well as our note taking and not necessarily 100% objective quality because <laughs> all of these episodes just have so many great little bits. And I was like, Oh, we should have done that one. You know? Well, we, I mean, we were over on Twitter, uh, talking a bit about the, uh, the Gabby Hayes, uh, scene in, uh, uh, just another Polish wedding. Mm -hmm. it, it 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 was in the first round, but uh, got beat out by uh, you feed me an ice cream sandwich, mm -hmm. and uh, we both still there was no reason to go to that section <laughs> of the, that episode, but we both just went there and watched it anyways. I uh, I forgot that it hadn't advanced. <laughs> 
I was like, I'll cast a wide net and make sure I catch, you yeah. know, the things I, I want to brush up on. And I, so I was like, oh, let me make sure, uh, that I've brushed up on this scene. And then I looked at the standings. I was like, oh, right. This didn't advance. Oh, well, that's okay. I, uh, it was worth it. Uh, I love that scene. And, uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to yeah. it. Um, so that all said, we are going to look forward and not back, uh, all of the things that already, uh, lost are preserved in Amber, uh, always to be remembered for their service, but uh, we'll try not to get too bogged down in um, uh, reminiscences, and we'll go forward with our uh, with our tournament. Yes. Alright, so we are going to go through all of our second round pairings, and then we will uh, start um, crowning champions. We'll spend the most time talking about things the first time we talk about them, I think, and then after that, it'll go faster because we don't need to go into every detail every time something comes up right this happens to be the first episode of our show you're listening to uh i highly suggest going back at least one uh in order (laughs) to get more of the context uh or you know just just go for it you you don't need to know about all those losers yeah yeah no that's that's exactly how i would phrase that (laughs) (laughs) hello listeners we really appreciate you being here and we want to make sure that you know that you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. In addition to episode previews and access to the 200 a day Rockford Files file spreadsheet, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. 200 a day will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you know you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Jay Adon. Check out his amazing miniature painting over at jadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and finally, big thanks to Detective Patrons. Check them out on Twitter. Eric Antenor at Antenor, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So should we jump into best episode? Yeah. Chicken Little is a little chicken beat out Gear Jammers last time. So it's in and it's matched up against Quickie Nirvana, which beat out So Help Me God. This will probably be a theme throughout. uh, But for me, because of the quality of the episode that they beat... They carry more weight with them sure. than they had in the first round, which again is not how brackets work. Like <laughs> in in real life, you don't get a bonus because you beat something big in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe you do get a little bit of a, a morale boost. Mm. I think one could one could make the argument that it is uh, more exciting for the underdog who has beaten a you know very high performing yeah. uh, contender. Uh, they have a stronger narrative coming into the rest of their run. I, I buy that. So a little a little background on on uh, what's going on behind the scenes with uh, Nathan and I. We it's been a week since we recorded the last one, mm-hmm. and uh, in that week we have decided to go through and refresh our memories and watch 
a bunch of uh, bits from the the whatever bits we can. I mean, obviously, some of these uh, categories, uh, for instance, the uh, printing press, we couldn't just find all the bits that that existed. Though, in ironically, I feel like I found the I found a good bit for it. We'll get to that later. Yeah, but uh, like the villains, I didn't watch the episodes that the villains were in just to see the villains. Right. So we had, we had time constraints and uh, we couldn't just go and rewatch all the best episodes. Yeah. I did not have time to watch four to eight full episodes. unfortunately. (laughs) But that actually, I think helped in my decision-making process. Okay. Because I was like, Oh, I don't have time to watch all of these. Maybe I'll just watch. And then I'd already known that I made the decision. Oh, okay. And I realized I was just going to watch the one I wanted to watch again hmm. most. Interesting. Uh, and that's what ended up uh, making my decisions here. My inclination was a little more like, I want to watch the one that I don't remember quite as well. Oh, okay. Which tends to be the one that I'm like, am I only privileging the one that I like more because I remember it better? Yes, I did, but I did not watch them. So yeah, <laughs> perhaps this yeah. point is moot. Um, all right. So this first matchup, Chicken Little is a little chicken versus Quickie Nirvana. Uh, chicken Little is a little chicken is, you know, heavily an angel episode, a con episode, gangster episode. Um, we get to see Jim being the smartest guy in the room, but then we get to see Jim making a terrible, terrible yes. mistake, <laughs> uh, in terms of his ultimate con. So, uh, it's very funny. Um, and it has a lot of great elements that are represented in other brackets. Yeah. Quickie Nirvana is a more personal episode. Uh, it's more of a just about Jim and his interaction with Sky, the other protagonist for the episode, uh, or foil perhaps, who is on this, journey the spiritual journey of of trying to find the thing that she doesn't really know she just knows she needs something um also has a lot of good humor but is 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 counterbalanced at the end by a very uh dark ending where sky seems to have learned nothing and gone the completely other direction in her search for solace while uh you know jim has has tried this whole time to get her to stand up for herself and and uh, and realize her herself as an actor in her own life versus waiting for someone else to tell her how she should feel and behave Pretty different yeah, episodes. Yeah, they're, they're very different episodes, uh, which is fun. Uh, I enjoy that, uh, that we're getting that kind of pairing going on here. Before we go any further, I think we should discuss tiebreakers. Okay. Because if we end up uh, disagreeing on this, there's only two of us. Right. Two into... Yeah, two into 556 doesn't go. Um. Well, my first thought is we could go by IMDb rating if it's an episode. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of like the, the, the popular vote. Yeah. I think almost everything here is attached to an episode. There's just there's only a few things that aren't attached to episodes. So if we decide to just go with the rating for the episode it's in, it's as arbitrary as anything else. Right. It feels better than flipping a coin or rolling a die. And if we come down to one where we can't do that, then maybe we should resort to the die rolling. Sure. As as game designers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, considering that we don't have the ability to do any real-time feedback on this stuff. Uh... Although, what, what we'll do is we'll, if we come down to that tiebreaker, we'll just mention each one in the category and give a pause. And you, listener, wherever you are, whatever's happening, just applaud for the one you want. <laughs> 
And then we'll go with the the applause that we hear through the internet. Exactly. Perfect. I love it. Um, all right. So that said, uh, do you have an initial pick? I do, and I feel bad for it, which is why I did that preamble. They're all. These are all heartbreakers. Yeah. Uh, I, I went with Chicken Little as a little chicken, and my reasoning for it, uh, in addition to the, it was the one I really wanted to watch, but I, I do agree that that is, that introduces a certain amount of bias, is that it is so well represented elsewhere and throughout that we just kept going to it for all the, all these things. I feel like it's just a solid, solid, good episode. Now you don't have to agree with me. Right. No, my, so my initial impulse was, was to, to, to go go to bat for Quickie Nirvana, yeah. Because as a character study and as a as a piece of writing that sticks with me, I just think it's like so well constructed. It did win an Emmy, just like it did win the show yeah. its first Emmy. Just throwing that out there for for prime time drama. Damn it. <laughs> and it did beat So Help Me God, so that also <laughs> right. weights it a little bit in my in my mind. That said, if we go to the which episode would I recommend someone who's never seen the show watch, that edge does go to Chicken Little as a little chicken. Yeah. So does anything there change your mind? Well, the category is best episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I actually do want to change to Quickie Nirvana. Yeah, fine. You can have this one. This is yours. <laughs> Take the win. Victory. Can that into my bracket. Oh, that screws up the rest of my brackets. <laughs> if, if this is a reluctant choice, we can go to the we can go to the ratings. But I think the ratings are actually no. The ratings would be in your favor. Would it go the other way. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the, no, because it wanted the first Emmy, and because it beat out. So help me God. Uh. I cannot argue with the fact that that they're just really good television coming down that branch of the brackets. I guess for me, just the fact that Chicken Little is a Little Chicken is represented elsewhere gives me a little bit of room to be like... Yeah, it's the Oscars. Yeah. We could give the best supporting actress because <laughs> uh, for some reason we decided to give the best movie to someone else. Right. All right. Quickie Nirvana. Okay. Quickie Nirvana. Taken out Chicken oh, Little is a Little Chicken. Sorry to bust your bracket, but... Sometimes it's just how it goes. Uh, all right. So the next pairing, uh, we have Queen of per- Peru, which had beat out the trees, the bees, and TT flowers to get to where it is. Uh, not a easy task. Uh, and the Paper Palace, which beat out white on white and nearly perfect. So here we have, I think, a very similar pairing to the previous one as far mm-hmm. as tone and plot. Yeah. yeah. So Queen of Peru is the, the family from Indiana that is on vacation and steals uh, Jim's uh, grill that a uh, gang from the UK that stole a giant diamond hid it yes. in his grill. For, through machinations and so now everyone is on the road trying to track down this rv uh with just this total uh middle america stereotype of a family that is both charming and just ridiculous and yes uh horrible it's hilarious and it just has all it just hits all the beats of like uh humor and uh, it's, it's very Rockfordy. There's lots of, you know, like it is yes. a very Rockfordishness <laughs> episode. Like I can't imagine that episode in any other piece of television. Yeah, yeah. And then the Paper Palace is a Rita Moreno episode, also Emmy Award winning for for Rita. 
uh, as Rita Kapkovic, um, who is the uh, sex worker that is friends with Dennis and then gets introduced to Jim. Yeah. She's uh seems to be being targeted for um or the the woman that she's friends with and, and gonna be staying with is is targeted by goons. Uh she ends up getting murdered. The Edmonton Beavers hockey team is uh, a a major plot point. <laughs> um we get to see Rita and Jim develop a friendship as he's yeah. trying to to help her and and save her from these um, goons. And then we also get to see their whole social circle. You know, like there's a bit of it's a bit of a social issue episode in that it's like my job doesn't define my personality. You know, and uh, kind of really punches punches up towards the the prudes and the people in the world who judge others versus you know allowing people to kind of live their life and be who they are. Again, yeah, very different. Yeah. So Queen of Peru uh, holds kind of a special place in my heart because it is definitely one of these episodes that I just have remembered, not the whole episode, but parts of it from my childhood. Like hmm. it, it, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, it's the Queen of Peru was the episode, but that RV and like there were definite things that visual cues that just uh, stuck with me the whole time. Uh, that said, I am definitely leaning more paper palace uh, on this one. And like, I feel even more regretful because I think uh, both chicken little is a little chicken and queen of Peru. Like you, you said last time, those are great episodes to be like, Oh, you want to watch a Rockford files episode? Mm-hmm. Here's an episode to watch so you can understand uh, what there is to love about the show. I don't know. Do you have feelings here or are are you a monster? <laughs> no, I have feelings. I I it's a little weird. So Queen of, I I kind of I I want to say Queen of Peru because I went against Chicken Little as a little chicken kind of representing the right the comedy conference um and because it is just such a good time i think because i am so into character uh the character stuff in the paper palace is just so good yeah i will i will point out that that paper palace is uh it is a very funny episode as well yeah right there's like some of my favorite comedic beats because of just both Rita Moreno and James Gardner just being able to to play off each other. The bit at the end where the uh, the the neighbor who has been a jerk to her this whole time is comes over to her apartment because he's because he's a client. Yes, and then he's hiding in yes. the closet with like the roses and the bottle of wine, and they open the door, and he's just like standing there pretending, trying to absorb into yeah. the background. <laughs> That's an amazing moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh. Going with my heart, I think I would have to say Paper Palace. Okay. We're, that's what we got then. Paper we're Palace. We're in agreement. All right. Yeah. Oof. All right. Well, uh, we're going to put the best episodes on hold for a moment. And we're going to now switch to more Rockfordishness. And uh, this first pairing is going to be tough if we have a tie. <laughs> first up, we have the uh, business card printing press, which is uh, just... Throughout the show, like we don't have a specific episode, although I think later on we'll point out a specific episode. And that beat out the tank thievery bit, which was in the background of uh, two into five fifty six won't go. Oh, my God. I can't believe I, I can never remember the name of that one. So I took a look at that because uh, I, I wanted to kind of remember what that scene was about. And just for yeah. the record, not only did he he traded 400 units of rations for the the Korean tank, uh, he being Jim, also ran a uh, series of pool halls. 
in Busan. <laughs> All right. So Just saying. That's good stuff. But what made it through was the uh, business card printing press, and uh, it's up against the ice rink hostage exchange, which took place in Feeding Frenzy, which beat out Jim and Beth their whole deal, which, I mean, if you're going to put some weight on huh? on a winner. Uh, okay. So now we're getting into the places where I did you know, go back and rewatch what mm-hmm. I could rewatch. And rewatching the, uh, the, that ice rink exchange. Okay. First of all, I, I, I scanned forward on the DVD until I saw an ice rink and then mm-hmm. I went back and I went back a little too far and that was fine because what I got was the negotiation on the phone that led up to it. Yes. Which is exquisite. Who's this? I'm the guy who stumbled into the Halloween party and I'm the guy you're going to have to negotiate this transaction with. I'm not dealing with no middleman. Uh, fact number one is I'm very fond of Sandy, but I'm not altogether sure she's worth a half a million dollars. Come on, who are you kidding? Fact number two is I helped Charlie boost this dough three years ago, so I've got a half interest in it. Now, I may be willing to trade that away, but only on my terms. I'm not going to do any deal and then end up with a stiff. I don't believe you. Then take a hike. You'll call back. Oh, they'll kill her, Jim. Charlie. Charlie, we got to figure that she may already be dead. Now, if she isn't, she will be unless we deal ourselves some cards. I mean, this guy can run us around. We'll end up with nothing. Did you answer it? Not on the first ring. Change your mind, huh? Let's just say I'm willing to keep talking about it. And Jim is always hanging up on him. And yes, it's, yes. it's oh, so good. It's it's a wonderful moment of status play. But we also get this sort of, again, it's like that thing you were saying, Jim being the smartest person in the room. But more specifically, this is Jim doing his job. Yeah, he's been hired to uh, yes. help out this guy, Charlie. Charlie's second guessing everything he's doing and Jim's explaining how it is. And that's actually one of the things I love about this scene because just before we go to the the rink for the hostage exchange, Charlie is like, like why an ice skating rink? And Jim's like, well, how many people do you know that keep ice skates in the trunk of their car? Like <laughs> literally they're going to be off balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No sudden moves. Yeah. Public place. Oh God. The crowd slowing down to watch what's happening. Uh, but like, yeah, rewatching it. Some of the notes that I took included like Charlie just going on about, how down on his luck like charlie's a loser right like that's an important thing to understand and jim is still got him like obviously charlie isn't the only victim here charlie's daughter is in trouble because of all this and jim's going to help out there too but uh it just has this wonderful warmth to how jim deals with charlie even though charlie is the maker of a lot of his own problems here yeah well and and specifically he says a thing here and kind of the the preamble to the actual exchange where he's like, Jim's assuming that he's going to make the exchange. And then Charlie talks him out of it by saying that like, this is a chance for him to actually stand up yes. and show that he's a man and like take yeah. his, take his pride back by doing this, this one thing when he's kind of let all this other stuff slide. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, the only problem with this scene is that it's impossible to play a clip from Ferrar show because there's no dialogue it's just the (laughs) it's just the uh uh, carnival music and ice skates as this whole exchange takes place uh in the middle of the ice rink 
it does have a classic bit of dialogue just before it when uh, the, Jim and Charlie have the money that they're going to exchange. And uh, I think Charlie looks at it or something and Jim has like a, a negative reaction. Stuff really bothers you. Yeah, I got a thing about money. I can't help it. Uh, this is all very classic Rockford, obviously. Uh, also, I sh- shout out to the calculator again. Yep. as a gorgeous looking TI. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this is a, a, a quite a matchup. It is a signature thing about the series versus a perfect scene. Right. Yes. <laughs> so we didn't put in the Firebird. We didn't put in the mm-hmm. phrase $200 a day plus expenses. Right. Right. Um, in the realm of this is just the fabric of the Rockford files, I kind of... Oh, you went the printing press. No, I... I, I that oh. kind of pushes the printing press down for me. Because it's like... Oh. It's, it's another aspect of the show that's just definitional to the show. Right, right. Not as a gimmick, but as a... a sign, it's a signature aspect. What are we doing? Well, you waste a lot of time on people if you don't have the right props. Would you get the ink and the knife out of the glove compartment, please? And one of these cards. The whole secret of a good confidence game is having the right props. But right. the ice rink hostage exchange is a scene that rises up above other scenes in terms of just capturing capturing the rock Britishness, like the kind of offbeat yes. setting. Uh, there's money, there's Jim working, yeah. but having kind of a difficult client, it's all staged really well. It's directed really well. Uh, the dialogue before it is really good. Like, yeah. So all that said, I think I have to come down on, uh, the ice rink hostage, hostage exchange. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement here. This is, this was an easy one. Uh, it wasn't like easy, easy, but, uh, it's easy for us to find agreement here. I, I do think that if, if somebody's like, not what is the Rockford files all about, but can you give me a perfect Jim Rockford moment? Yeah. This scene would definitely be amongst them. So, yeah. All right. Ice Rink Hostage Exchange moves up. Yes. In the standings. All right. (laughs) Next up, we have uh, from The Attractive Nuisance, we have the garlic in the chili versus, uh, well, which beat out the proofreader from uh, Man Eaten by Newspaper. Local Man Eaten by Newspaper. Yeah. Uh, Versus uh, Arnold Love Hot Dog uh, from Profit and Loss, which had beat out the... uh, Handshake from the same episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got uh, a food on food matchup. We here. do. This is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Going back and watching these, it's just a delight. Mm-hmm. When I went back to watch Attractive Nuisance, that was definitely one of the ones where almost right away we get the garlic, the fistfuls of garlic powder in the chili. Yeah. It's at Rocky's Summit Inn, and we get Rocky on the CB. We get like the menu in the background. It's seventy five cents for chili, but fifty cents for soup. And <laughs> and Jim, the faces he makes while he's eating it, and all the crackers he has to put in it, and the skeptical look the chef gives him as he's putting more and more crackers in it. Uh, it's it's wonderful. Right, and then his whole like he cracks a joke, but then walks it back to be like, no, Vince, it's great. It's really great. Like yeah, yeah. He knows the right thing to say is that it's good, even though he clearly doesn't like it. That's a delight. And it, again, it was one that like just made me want to watch the whole episode mm-hmm. all over. Uh, profit and loss. I 
feel like Profit and Loss is the clear leader for this one for me, the, the hot dog scene. I think I know why, but I want to hear your... Well, I, I, it's got everything. It just <laughs> has everything. Jim's going to an expert to just hire him. He's just trying to get this guy to work for him. The guy's telling Jim how much it's going to cost him to work for him. They're having this discussion over hot dogs, like a classic Jim chili dogs even. Chili dogs, yeah. It's all about how much money's going back and forth. It's Jim telling this guy that this thing might not be on the up and up and this guy's reaction to it. It's them reading each other. It's the guy telling Jim that you got a deal because you got this information for the price of a hot dog. And then the button is that there's no reason why they had to do this. The button is them giving us the picture of the receipt where the hot dog costs $6.36 or the two of the hot dogs Mm -hmm. cost $6. And Jim just being incredulous. (laughs) Mr. Rockford. There is absolutely nothing wrong with fiscal dynamics. I don't have to research them for you because I have personally been through their financial statement at least 10 times. I've spoken to Mr. Fielder a dozen times. All of this before I let one of my clients invest in the stock. That company is so healthy, it's disgusting. I am giving you all this advice for the price of a hot dog. I got to get back to work. 636? It's just golden to me. I don't know. I just like it's good. It's very good. So I'll come back to yeah. to that. I want to talk about the the chili, <laughs> or come back to the garlic chili, I should say. So the thing about this that I had forgotten and reviewing it, I really loved was that it's not just a bit. It's actually a three beat little uh, story arc. Um, I mean, it's comedy. It's a comedy arc, but it has. Yeah. But it's a it's a three beat structured piece of food-based comedy that positions the cook, Vince, very specifically in the context of Rocky's whole project here and his relationship with Rocky and both of their relationship with Jim. And uh, so, yeah, it starts off with him eating the chili and then like, be like, no, 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 it's great. And then he goes and is complaining to the bartender at the restaurant in Paradise Cove uh, about how there's too much garlic and how it ruins (laughs) the 12-year-old scotch that he's drinking. (laughs) But then he goes back and he orders all this food to try and, like, encourage other people who are there to order food because no one's ordering food. So he has to eat it again. And then at the end of the (laughs) night, he's helping clean up. uh, And Vince asks him if he has any, like, feedback on the food. Sonny, are we doing something wrong? Well, no, no, not that I know of. Maybe the chili's a little too hot. Hot? What do you mean hot? It's not hot. A little spicy, maybe, but it's not hot. Look, Vance, I I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but maybe the chili has just a hint too much garlic in it. You know, I've been eating it regularly now for a couple of days, and, uh, of course, uh, of course, chili is such a personal thing, you know? Maybe spicy would be a better definition. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people like their chili spicy. I know I do. Don't I, Dan? Always like it spicy. The spicier, the better. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, probably the uh, the chili is a winner. Sure. Uh, it's chef kiss. It's just a beautiful yeah. set of, of, of scenes. 
That said, the Arnold Love hot dog scene from Profit and Loss does have a more holistic incorporation of all the things that are great about the Rockford Files. Yes. <laughs> I think you you touched on all of it. Um, and it even includes one of a bit of, of a repeating gag where Jim had his picture taken in the newspaper. And then- Oh, Yes. Like, like all these high-powered executives and stuff keep telling him, like, oh, you're that detective from the paper. My secretary cut that out for me. Yeah, he went viral. Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff. So in this case, while I really I really enjoyed going back and revisiting The Attractive Nuisance, mm-hmm. I think you're I think you're you're right. And I think the getting the t- getting the chilly things with Arnold Love. Yeah. Is a wider representation of all of these Rockfordishness elements. Uh, all right, so we're we're pushing hot dog from profit and loss forward, but um, uh, I would say that the attractive nuisance played a really good game. They 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 took him to the I don't know sports metaphor. Went hard in the paint. That's 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 a uh, basketball <laughs> basketball basketball basketball. All right, cool. So that's our critics critics choice region uh, semifinals quarterfinals quarterfinals. All right, so uh, we're on to gas and gangsters. Sure are. All right. This was extremely fun to uh, yes. revisit. <laughs> I think this is probably what I took the most time um, rewatching were the car chase bits. Yes. All right. So, yeah, car chase category. First up, we have the semi-chase in the desert uh, from The Dark and Bloody Ground, which had beat out the helicopter pursuit uh, from... Uh, from uh, Guilt. And uh, it's up against the drive through strategy from the girl in the Bay City Boys Club, which had previously beat out uh, the dumpster strategy from Second Chance. Yeah. Yeah. So I had not realized that Dark and Bloody was such an early episode. It was not including the pilot. It's number two, right? Yeah, it's the second episode of the first season. So we are still setting the tone for what the Rockford Files is here. And watching this was a delight. Like you said, <laughs> like going back and watching all these. One of the things that to me that stuck out on this watch through uh, was the music. Mm-hmm. So we've got this music playing. The music is Rockford Files music, but it's on uh, on edge. It's got like an eerie aspect to it. There's no reason for us to think that this semi is a threat except for how much the camera is on it. Right. And the music is just clearly telling us that it's a threat. But the moment it becomes a threat, the music stops mm-hmm. and we don't get music again until the whole thing's over. And it's a long stretch. I timed it. Um, it is five minutes and 14 seconds from when the music yeah. stops to when the music after the chase starts to tell you that it's over. Those are not a boring five minutes. <laughs> okay. Again, this is regretful that we can't just play chase foley while this is going on <laughs> well that's the thing we could because it would it's all the sound of the motors uh yes. the, the chunk chunk of gear shifting yeah the like beeping at because there's one bit where there's a you know another car that they have to yes strategize around and there's a lot of honking um it's obviously it's not silent right it's just there's no score there's a really creative use to the terrain that isn't showboaty which I really, really love. Uh, 
you know, Rockford's not doing any jumps or anything mm-hmm. like that. I don't think Rockford does jumps, which is another great not, thing. Usually not. Like, all the stuff in this is kind of tactical, right? Like, yeah. the bit that I'd totally forgotten was he get he does get run off the road, and he gets yeah. stuck in uh, dirt, and his tires are spinning. And so he's yeah. trying to get out of this, like, you know, just this pile of, of soft ground. Uh, while the semi is coming back up on him and he like gets out at just the last minute putting him back exactly where he was before yes the semi cap uh pushed him off the road but it's this great beat because it's like a downbeat in terms of the action um because he's stationary for a little while and it kind of breaks the whole yeah. thing into two halves go watch this <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably say that for everything in this category uh it's a lot of fun to watch it does a great job with focusing your eye on what's important. You, you realize that he's in a rental car that is not built for this. Right. Because uh, he'll show show us the speedometer as he's just trying to give it gas. And it's it's barely breaking 70, sometimes falling below 50, uh, trying to get up these hills and, and whatnot. And uh, then the other, like, traffic negotiations are fun. Like, one of the showboatiest bits is Jim going off the shoulder to get around the car. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of those that just feels so real that you tense up watching it. Yes. That's great. Jim's final escape here is he takes uh, a hard left onto a bridge that barely lets his car through and certainly won't be wide enough for the semi to get through or even look like it would support the semi. And then the music starts again. Right. And I'm like, the music returns and Jim can fly free on the Fury Road. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's wonderful. Yes, it's thematic opposite here. Right. Yeah, this is another big difference. Yeah, because so the drive-through thing in the Girl in the Bay City Boys Club is uh, more of a specific tactic versus a full chase. Yes. But that tactic is extremely Rockford-y, which is where he knows he's being followed. It's not high speed. He just notices that he's being followed. And so he... Pulls into an in and out drive through, um, and then the first when the guy when he's at the little squawk box to make his order. Your order, please. Call the police. Your order, please. That's it. You got it. There's a guy following me in a white 1974 Datsun California plates. Tell the police I'll be headed south on Verdugo, and for them to intercept. Are you nuts, Mister? Is this a rib? Just tell him he took a shot at me. And while you're at it, would you throw in a taco and a bag of fries? Yes. And it works. And the guy calls the police. We see him on the phone. And then we cut to a cop car pulling over this car that was following Jim. He gets to park on the other side of the road and see who it was. And it's all very, like, Rockford-y maneuver. Achieving what he needs, keeping him out of trouble, um, and getting a taco while he's at it. Well, one of the things I really enjoy about this is that it's uh, slow and probative. Mm. Okay, so one thing I do really love about this is... The smug looks he gives us <laughs> when he realizes he has an amateur following him. Yes. Like, he knows he's in charge of what's happening right now. There's a, a series of stops and slow starts that he does and just pulling over to the side of the road to watch his tail pull over as well to just see just how amateurish his tail is. And then the fact that he reverses it and follows her after all of it is done, I think is just gorgeous. It's absolutely not paced like the other, like uh, 
the semi-chase in the desert, it tells a completely different story mm-hmm. in Cars, like with a little bit more dialogue, but like still, it, I think that having these two up against each other is great because it shows the breadth of car to- storytelling that the Rockford Files can do. What can Jim do behind the wheel? And yeah. that's a very wide spread, which is great, and that's a character thing, right? Jim is this, uh, driving is part of his character. Yeah. He can tell all these different stories from behind the wheel of a car in a way that a lot of, you know, a lot of, 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 of TV and movies, the the car is just an enclosed space. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, Jim is, is is using the car as an attribute to help him. There's a lot of television that had car chases that it was the, it was almost the same car chase every time. And that's fine. That's what you wanted or whatever. And I think it was easy to reduce the car chase bit from the Rockford Files to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be wrong. Right. Like, I think that this is uh, indicative of of why that would be wrong. This is a uh, is a great spread. I actually had a, a tough time choosing between these two because of that. Uh, the first one, both because it's an early one and just a really good chase. Uh, I really wanted to lean that direction. But then as I thought more about the uh, girl in the Bay City Boys Club, I love how that stands out against like the stereotype of what sure. a Rockford Files car chase should be and in many ways feels more rockford files you've been talking me into a stronger drive-through strategy position than i think i had (laughs) coming into this because i was thinking of it in terms of well this is the best car chase category the semi chase in the desert is a better car chase drive-through strategy is a more rockfordy scene or sequence that happens to involve a car. However, the fact that this show uses Jim and his car to tell the stories is why this is even a category at all, right? Like, why car chases yeah. are, like, a thing we wanted to look at. Uh, so now I'm torn. I, I was going to have a, yeah. an easy call for the <laughs> semi-chase, but you've talked me into this being more 50-50. Maybe I can help you out, because after all of that, I think I still do lean towards the semi in the desert. As a car chase in the category of car chases, it might be the best one we've seen on the show. Yeah. And thus could be recognized in this category. All right, are we doing it? I'll, I'll call this one for dark and bloody ground. Sounds good to me. All right. Speaking of semis, mm-hmm. uh, up next we have Rocky Drives the Cab from Gear Jammers, uh, which had previously beat out Gear Jammers. <laughs> uh, Jay turned under the uh, overpass, and that is going up against the J-turn parking lot strategy from Rosendahl and Gilda Stern are dead, which had beat out the Corvette. The J-turn chase with the Corvette, yeah. Yeah. Now, here's a surprise, mm-hmm. just fun fact. Uh, the Rosendahl and Gilda Stern are dead uh, J-turn parking lot strategy is the only contender that currently exists that has the Firebird. Oh, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Just throwing that out there, I thought it was a little little surprising to me when I when we'd gone through all these car chases and I got to the last one I watched and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He owns a Firebird. <laughs> 
Huh. All right. So revisiting Gear Jammers for this scene was maybe my favorite revisit. Uh, it's yeah. just been so long since I've seen, since we did that episode. And seeing Rocky get a win is so satisfying. <laughs> uh, so this scene, there's a bunch of like stolen. Um, semis. Yeah. They're semis full of stolen. Hijacked? Yeah. Like hijacked goods. And there's this whole conspiracy and everything, right? But so the, the yeah. climax is one of the semis full of uh, uh, stolen stuff is departing this yard and Jim and Rocky see it going. Rocky jumps into a cab and chases after it. And then Jim jumps into a cab and chases after both of them. <laughs> so they're both involved. The semi goes through a police roadblock and Jim is originally trying to get Dennis to stop it. And Dennis just waves to Jim. And I just want to say that that has nothing to do with the chase whatsoever. It's just a wonderful moment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Jim jumps in a semi to tell Dennis that he's done wrong by letting that semi go. Yes. And then Rocky just blows past them. Yes. yes, He's like, I'm going to solve this problem (laughs) because he's offended uh, the core of Rocky. Well, it's because it's truckers who are involved in these heists. Yeah. It's like crooked truckers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this chase is great because it's like, uh, so the, the, uh, the main semi has the full, um, load on the back, right? And I think it's a little bit before yeah. he realizes he's being chased. Um, and then once he does, it's kind of this game of chicken where the two, where Rocky and Jim in there, just the cabs, no, uh, no container are more maneuverable, but the bigger one yes. is heavier and kind of what are you going to do, right? So it's a bunch of, uh, kind of seat of the pants trying to head this guy off, trying to block him, trying to just get to him because he has a head start. And uh, it's a lot of um, exciting back and forth between these two trucks. And uh, Rocky is continually in the lead kind of on one side. And Jim is swerving all over the place, trying to get into a position where he can help, yeah. which is a great dynamic. Rocky the two of them. is out driving Jim. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, the the other thing that I want to say, and this sounds like, well, whatever, we're doing a sports bracket, so I'm going to sound like a pro wrestling uh, <laughs> announcer here. The physicality of this one is wonderful. Like, you feel the weight of these trucks as they go around the corners. There's like a fishtail early on. I think Jim does it or whatever, and you just feel like, oh, man. There's, uh, there's a wonderful shot. Uh, head on to the three trucks as they're in motion and mm-hmm. the two on the sides come up alongside the middle one and they're in like this, this wonderful frame of like the this repeated motif of the three because they're all the same model of truck they're all from the same yeah. company so they all have the same color scheme um that i just loved watching i was like oh that's a great shot it's yeah. a very every frame of painting uh shot the end of it is is great too because you like after it's all over, Rocky is in a state of shock sitting in the truck, mm-hmm. and then he snaps out of it in this great way. You guys could have gotten killed, you know that. Me? In a rig? <laughs> I've been pushing one all my life. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I guess you do. Well, and what kind of breaks him out of his, like, nah, like holding onto the wheel is, is Jim saying, uh, come on, you old gear jammer, you nailed him. Which is like yes. Jim celebrating Rocky for, like, doing the thing yes. Rocky does, which is a rare and, and beautiful moment. Ah, uh-huh, it's good. Yeah, so that was great. Uh, this is counter to a, again, more of a strategic thing that Jim does a lot uh, yeah. in the Firebird with this J-turn to escape from trouble. Um 
from the Rosendahl and Gildelstern are dead, which has this like fairly short sequence where he's actually being chased. Um, but again, yeah. filmed in a very visceral way, very physical. You can really see the cars rocking on their suspension because as you know, the show, they shot all that stuff practically, right? Um, so they had drivers driving these cars on, on streets in LA. Uh, and then Jim, you know, using just that, that little bit of an edge of his speed and maneuverability to get around a corner and get into this parking lot and duck before his pursuers can see that they're not going straight. And that's how he escapes from the dangerous situation. This is the, the, uh, Rockford Files chase sequence, right? Like yeah. this. It's got the Firebird. Uh, it's got the storytelling. That I do really enjoy the fact that the the villains of this episode come flying in in their car and screech to a stop in front of the Firebird, which is parked, mm-hmm. not moving. And they're like, yeah, we got him. Jim just from park. Jay turns out of there and is just like, no. <laughs> like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really... It's a, it's a status drop. It's it's a it's a classic Rockford Files status drop, but done without dialogue or anything like that. It's just again the the ballet of the vehicles, mm. and then and then just this situational awareness that Jim has, where he realizes he's gotten ahead of the uh, pursuit and can pull into a parking lot, and then both him and Rita duck down, and these car goes by. They have no idea. Who's following them? I do feel like this one is uh, the platonic ideal mm-hmm. of a Rockford Files chase sequence. Uh, so I think that that's one of the things it really has going for it. Like there's, it's wonderfully filmed and got a little bit of everything with also having that moment of like squealing tires mm-hmm. and high speed cornering and almost collisions and that kind of thing. For all the wonderful things that we were just saying about, uh, the gear jammers finale that's very specific to that episode yeah while i think you're right when you think of the rockford files you think of this like this is the kind yeah. of chase if you even like the stereotypical chase that for example the drive through strategy from girl in the bay city boys club breaks out of like this is that basic pattern that we expect yes. when it's done well like it is a thing of beauty it's like when you have a favorite band and that band has like a two minute and 30 second song that is just perfect mm-hmm. and you're just like yeah it, that's it. That's the one. Even though we were very effusive about how great Rocky is with his uh, yeah. semi, I think the J turn into the parking lot in the best car chase category is what you think of when you think of a Jim Rockford, Rockford Files car chase. Yeah, that works for me. Now on to the gangsters, uh, which we're running out of gangsters in I know. that category. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is the, the best villains. First up, we have Gary Bevins from So Help Me God. He's the DA. Uh, he beat out Anthony Boy in a tough matchup, if you remember last episode. That one might have gone to overtime. Yeah. Uh, and now he is up against karate champ Dave Delaro. I shouldn't call him the <laughs> karate champ. That is not a defining feature. We don't know if he's a karate champ. He is, however, yeah. a karate master, as well as yes. a painter, a very smooth talker. He had beat out Phil the Dancer Gabriel uh, mm-hmm. from, uh, was it? Rosendahl and Gildestern? Yes. Uh, yes. So Gary Bevins versus Dave Delaro. Okay. I, I said this last time. Dave Delaro is Rockford's Moriarty, mm-hmm. uh, except that he doesn't come back ever. <laughs> He's, to me, like a well-positioned foil to Jim on 
so many fronts on the romantic front. Yeah. He's everything that Jim is and probably like in many ways better than Jim at all of this stuff, except that he's not a good guy. Right. Whereas Gary Bevins is a character in and of himself, but also a stand-in for the grind of legal bureaucracy mm-hmm. that is that has always been uh, part of Jim's problem. And and something, uh, it just occurs to me now, something that Jim has often tossed Beth at to keep himself out of the way, mm-hmm. of, who he can't. Uh, she's not able to to save Jim from Gary or from himself as he's just right. obstinate towards uh, Gary here. Uh, those are my thoughts on this. Uh, I have a pick here, but I want to hear your thoughts before I, I go. Oh, boy. So Gary Bevins, Gary Bevins is perfect for the episode that he's in, right? Yeah. Uh, so Help Me God is all about this This quirk in the legal system where um, if you're called to testify before a grand jury and you refuse to do so, you can be thrown into jail because you're held in contempt and there's no uh, Fifth Amendment protection from, you know, incriminating yourself because it's not a full trial, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Gary Bevins, as this bureaucratic uh, careerist, who's looking to make a name for himself and is going to use every trick of his trade in order to do so. That's where his kind of villainy comes in. Yeah. It's cold and distant. It's not personal. It gets personal because um, Jim just ticks him off so much. According to Rockford's attorney, he's ready to testify. I'm supposed to get the court to drop charges. So drop him. Turkey belongs in a cage. Look, the Bureau wants Servino. We spent two months running into dead ends. We have to find him through Rockford. That's how we find him. Uh, I run the grand jury, remember? Then run it. He'll testify when I'm damn good and ready. Now, you saw what he pulled the other day. Do you think I'm going to let him get away with that? Let him sweat. It'll do him some good. Because he yeah. just refuses <laughs> to, to acquiesce. But um, uh, what he represents is is more the actual like villain in that episode, the system, right? And he's kind of the, the avatar of the system. While... As you say, Dave Delaro is is the Moriarty, is the dark reflection of Jim, um, is the uh, rival. I don't. I, I forget exactly if there's a moment where we really know that Dave is like, oh, this guy, he's going to be yeah. competing with me because there's this whole phase where he keeps on condescending to Jim because Jim's the one that Beth hired to do some work for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he's like this lesser person in his world. Yeah, but it's going to cut into our plans for this evening. Oh. Say, I've got a great idea. Why doesn't Jim take you? They're great seats. Really great, Jim. And Shostakovich is a marvelous composer. It would be a bit of shame to waste them. Well, please, Jim. Beth really had a heart set on going. Well, so did I. But, I mean, I would be neglecting my responsibilities if I went along. I've got two new computer programs that I should really discuss with him. Now that I can trust him. <laughs> oh, look. Say, are you yeah. absolutely certain that those checks are in the ledger? I mean, you're sure you didn't make a mistake or misread them, did you? Yeah, I'm sure. You know something, Dave? You're beginning to get on my nerves. Well, no, no. What I meant was if... I said they're there, they're there. Now, I will give you a signed affidavit. Beth here can notarize it. The presence of one of the waiters. If we can get one to come to the table, Okay. Would you uh, take this gentleman's order, please? Forget it. Lost my appetite. 
tight. And then eventually, I think when they get to, you know, having their fight where he shows off his karate chops, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> he, he sees Jim as a more personal threat. Um, yeah, it's hard for me not to go for Dave here just because since the show is about Jim. Yeah. Since he's the the uh, mirror universe Jim, he's a perfect villain. And also because that episode is so much about not detailing, but like really exploring the shape of Jim and Beth's relationship. And that is such a central Rockford Files thing, um, which we did take out in the first round as Jim and Beth, their whole thing. But <laughs> I think this villain is a villain in context of that. And that is a very Rockford Files thing. While So Help Me God, while it's a great episode and the Rockford Files tackled this kind of stuff, it could have been an episode in a different show uh, with the same sure. villain. So with all of that, I will say... Dave moves on from this matchup. I'll buy that. I'm. I'm. Uh, that was who I picked uh, because I honestly just would would have loved to seen a rematch. Yeah. Between the the two of them, uh, you know, when you talk about best villains, I mm-hmm. think you do think about like the best villains aren't one shot villains. You know, Lex Luthor, the Joker. They're people that keep coming back. I mean, really, Angel is really. The best villain. Yes. <laughs> that is very true. And I will also say that if you have Gary Bevins versus Dave Delaro, I think Dave wins. I think like yeah. Jim, he can work the system and get out from, yeah. you know, whatever Gary's going to throw at him. Yeah, yeah. No, Gary's definitely in trouble if this is an actual matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Electric Larry, who is from Dirty Money Black Light, who beat out Roman Clementi, the... Uh, oracle that wore the cashmere suit right then we have the mayor's committee from the mayor's committee from deer lake falls who had beat out dr herbert brinkman from uh the competitive edge dr herbert brinkman being one of the more horrific villains that that the show has seen but what we have here uh, so i went back and rewatched uh some scenes with electric larry and some scenes with the mayor's committee uh just to kind of refresh myself i know that like last time i could vaguely recall electric larry but now that i've watched it uh, again mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of great things in this so the scene um rockford has gone he's He's asked Dennis about Electric Larry. Dennis has been wanting to nail Electric Larry for years. uh, And Rockford needs Electric Larry to launder some money for him. And Dennis uh, helps. Also, uh, this is a great episode for skimming through and just stopping whenever you see Angel's face. I (laughs) highly recommend that. So we get to Larry's office, which is, again, beautiful, filled with like pastels and, and just very 60s into 70s. Mm-hmm. And it has that Velcro. We talked about this last time. It's a Velcro dart board with instead of darts, it's got little balls with Velcro strips <laughs> on them. And Jim is just playing with them. And while Jim's playing with them, he is clearly had an experience with these thugs. He probably beat them up. <laughs> uh, the, this one thug is very uh, angry at him uh, and says when his business is done with Electric Larry, then he's all Jim's all his. He's going to you know, beat him up. And so we get this very threatening thug who Jim offers some status to by like stop. He stops being so smart alecky about it. And then enter Electric Larry, who just drops that thug right away. Like it's just <laughs> such a minor like we're out of seltzer. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on? Uh, the whole discussion about how the the how like the money is going to work, the interest and all that stuff. 
it could have easily just skimmed over that. And instead, we just get this wonderful scene. Like, I had completely forgot how great the scene is. You need 20 grand, right? I get three for two. This time next week, you owe me 30 grand. The nut and the big. A little rough for you? Okay. So you don't want to do it that way. This time next week, you owe me 10 grand. As long as I get the vig, you keep the nut in your pocket, right? Right. I know I'm right. I just said I was right. We ain't never done business before. So you don't get no terms. Every day, you owe me $1,400. Last day, $1,600. You understand? Yeah, I understand. No, you don't understand. Because if you miss one day of paying me my money, Somebody's going to come by and ask you nice and polite. Second day, they're going to start to yell. And the third day, it's like baseball, baby. You out. Now you understand. Oh, it's great. Every time he asks Rockford a question, it doesn't matter what Rockford's going to answer. It's going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, then it ends with Rockford leaving. And he's like, follow that guy. I remember just before Rockford leaves, Rockford starts counting the money. Right. And Electric Larry flips out on him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what, you think I don't trust you? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's great. Uh, I did not have a chance to go back to the scene. I wish I had, because uh, I don't have anything to add to that. Okay, well, I'm glad I did. <laughs> so, good job. Um, but I, I will just throw out that also this is a... Uh, in terms of why we advanced Electric Larry was this is also kind of standing in for all of these uh, right. goons and and secondary characters who are antagonists to Rockford but aren't necessarily the subject of the um, episode. And just in terms of a a uh, memorable side character uh, uh, avatar that he's he's kind of carrying that whole um, category with him is part of his pick. Yeah, this chunk of the brackets here, I think. Uh, uh, has seen a lot of that, like, it matters who you're paired up against in the beginning yeah. a lot more than the others. I think so. Because if Electric Larry was up against one of those other mobsters, uh, Phil the Dancer Gabriel or Anthony Boy, I don't think we would see Electric Larry yeah, at this I point. Think, yeah. Uh, but he wasn't. So on the other side of that, we've got another group here, the Mayor's Committee, mm-hmm. who were up against Dr. Herbert Brickman. The play I made for them uh, was that they're a wonderful single villain pulled into several parts. So right. we get to see the competing internal thing. Uh, rewatching it, uh, I still play by that. I still stand by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to say, like, they're slightly more sympathetic than I remember them being watching it again. I, they're horrible people out to do a horrible thing. They're also slightly incompetent. And I think yes. that goes a long way. Like they're, they have to discuss everything. They're not of one mind. The one guy who like doubles down on like, this is what we have to do. He is not actually capable of like, he's the one who actually ends up taking the gun at the end. And he's going to like snipe yeah. Jim or whatever. And he just like, isn't good at it. Yeah. And Angel comes in and plays them and does such just a perfect job of playing them. <laughs> it's 
well, first of all, a delight to watch Angel in his element. Right. But also, you're, you're just like, oh, God, you poor little babes in the woods <laughs> who are plotting a murder. My my attachment to this one is is just that it's such, a, in the frame of the show, it's such a Rockford-y kind of thing. So Deer yeah. Lick Falls is uh, Michigan, I think. Yeah. <laughs> These dudes from, from the Midwest who come out to big, shiny L.A. with this strange notion of what they can actually get achieved, and they happen to find Rockford, and he's exactly the wrong person for what they want. So it's this kind of clash of uh, expectations and these characters you wouldn't really expect in like an L.A. detective show. Um, so it has a lot of like Rockfordishness to it. Which I think, and also structurally having the four of them kind of be the villain. But in terms of villainy, they're more sympathetic than not. And they're less effective than they could be. Blow into town like a trainload of U.S. country prime beef. Ab is intent on murder. Noah's gobbling heart pills. Anud is trying to get Ginger Rogers autograph. And all of you idiots are sort of trying to knock off Lauren... In between rubdowns at the Roman palace. We are doing the best we can. From the beginning, I tried to ice this thing, but you had to do it. Made an attempt on her life last night. Now that changes everything. We just can't pack up our extra suit and get on the next jet. So now you want to kill her? I don't want to. I never wanted to. But now we have to. Her only protection now is to go to the IRS. If she can prove our tax liability, then she sets up a motive. And we all go into a trick bag. Are you going, are you leaning towards Electric Larry or? That makes me lean towards Electric Larry, but I, I could be, be uh, inclined to the other way. Well, I am definitely leaning towards uh, the mayor's committee okay. again. And, and I think uh, that is largely because... I don't know. I think I, I I really like them as villain, but I think that that's uh... well. On the other other hand, oh, the mayor's committee is what the episode is about. While right. Electric Larry is a mechanism in an episode that's not actually about Electric Larry, right? Right. Yeah. I I mean I think that's also part of it too. I think um, what we have here is a victim of the brackets. And who's getting paired against two. Mm-hmm. I do think that the mayor's committee is stronger in this particular matchup. I think it's it's stronger of the two. Okay. If you want to go Electric Larry. Well, I start I started with Mayor's Committee. You swayed me to Electric Larry. <laughs> but I'm willing to come back to Mayor's Committee if that's where you are, because that's where I started. Yeah, let's do it. Mayor's Committee. All right. It's a shame for Electric Larry uh to have been outperformed at this point, but right. um that's just how it falls. All right, so that's one half. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the Information Superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the Worldwide Wrestling 
pro wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Hmm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. Okay, so here we go. Here's the category. <laughs> the hardest category. This is the best core character from Jim's world. Oh, um, boy. And I don't know if we're going to be able to do a whole lot of discussion. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, you've all seen the show, right? So you know yeah, right. what all the elements are. To research this, I watched the first six seasons. <laughs> to research this, we've done 65 episodes of this yes. podcast. Okay, here's what we have. We have... Uh, Rocky, who beat out Rita, uh, and Beth, who beat out Billings, who in, in the... <laughs> the most lopsided. Yes. So now we have Rocky v. Beth, and it's heartbreaking. I have a choice here. Okay. Uh, I kind of just think that the Beths of the world need, like, one victory against old men. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just shot for, for Beth in this one. I love Rocky to death, but... Um, yeah, my... My heart says Beth as well. She's just so... Yeah. So much of the memorableness. Not even the Rockfordishness, but just like so much of what makes Jim Rockford as a character interesting is his relationship with Beth. Yeah. And that character is so nuanced herself. Yeah. Yeah. I also love Rocky. Rocky's the best, but... Yeah, it's a tough call, but I think we're both going to go Beth. Please call us out on it. It's what it's what the heart wants, and sometimes you just yeah. got to go with what the heart wants. In the next matchup, speaking of what the heart wants, we have Dennis v. Angel. Oh, why did we do this to ourselves? <laughs> yeah, I know. Dennis beat out Gandhi to get here. Uh, Angel beat out both Chapman and Deal. I, I mean, like honestly, we originally set up these categories with easy first round picks. Yeah, uh, so that we could we could hurt ourselves here now i have a pick again i'm just gonna shout it out and this may be a surprise to our listeners but i'm picking dennis i have just i love broken old men (laughs) and i don't i don't know if anyone's arc towards broken old manness is better than dennis's (laughs) Uh, it was very hard because this was the first category that i chose before we did our homework mm-hmm. uh and then re-watching a lot of these episodes i kept catching myself watching angel mm-hmm. but i also caught myself watching a lot of dennis scenes so yeah this is again it's tough i can imagine a rockford files without dennis easier than i can imagine a rockford files without angel oh interesting it's a strong play <laughs> I mean, they're both inferior shows, but yes, that. Hmm. So my initial movement is towards Angel on this one. Oh, should we should we coin toss it? I don't have it in my heart to argue against. You're right. Yeah. So I guess my only statement would be like, is there anyone who anyone who is as perfectly matched to their role? Oh God damn it! <laughs> as Stuart Marglin and Angel. I mean, Joe Santos and Dennis is. Ex- extremely well matched right as well but like okay all right i'll give it to you i mean i'm willing to entertain a a counter argument i'm gonna let you know this is not this did not in any way influence my decision but uh i want it on your soul (laughs) to know that we will then put beth versus angel 
Were you trying to uh, take a dive in the next matchup? Is that what you were trying to say? No, but I know Dennis would have. Like, <laughs> I know Dennis would have just backed out at that point. But, okay. All right. Let's move on. All right. Let's, let's put this this hurt behind us. We'll, we'll come back to you later. Yeah. All right. So now we're dealing with a gym, the best gym fast talk. I did a little more homework for this one mm-hmm. as well. Uh, the first one we have is weird job impersonation from just a Polish, uh, just another Polish wedding, which had beat out the uh, newspaper cover story from Competitive Edge. So this is the one where Jim goes in and uh, chats with the florist. I will say uh, again because this is when I put in just another Polish wedding, and I just watched the Nazi bar scene again. <laughs> you through talking? It's a cold house, man. All right, so this is everything you said it was. <laughs> Jim comes in. Uh, he establishes what he knows. He knows what he's talking about. He does this whole bit with the flowers that just, like, makes it sound like he's old hat at this. Uh, and he is not presenting himself entirely so that he forces the mark to walk to the answer rather than uh like just give him the lie right out so it feels a little bit like the mark is uncovering it mm-hmm. there are some great dodges during it when uh because this guy i think one of the best things about this scene is that this guy is never not suspicious of jim he's from a service that arranges sending flowers to graves on the behalf of people right. so they don't have to do it themselves now they told us that uh, your flower shop has been supplying flowers to other members of the family now, I came here, Mr. Uh, Gertmanian. Uh, Mr. Gertmanian, uh, prepared to uh, continue to buy these flowers from your uh, shop annually. However, if you'd prefer, I can just as easily buy them from the florist at the cemetery. Well, uh, it uh, never occurred to me that anybody would contract for this sort of thing grave by grave. Yes, well, the world is changing, Mr. Gertmanian. I suppose you'd probably find it strange to know that uh, more people are building their own furniture or riding horseback. Not really. <laughs> you get the impression that Jim thinks he's invented something that sounds plausible, but it actually exists and works different from what Jim thinks it, how it, Jim thinks it works. He thinks on his feet real quick. <laughs> yeah, We're in this very niche version of this business. Play along with me just, like, one more minute. Come on. He does it in a way that's just antagonistic enough to keep this guy on the line long enough. He's snooty towards this guy, which puts him off his guard because this guy definitely feels snooty. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's, a, I think, a, a strong contender in this category. Uh, it's up against setting up their own alibi in uh, the reincarnation of Angie, which uh, last time beat out the Wahitaki uh, exchange from uh, Pastoria Prime Pick. So this is uh, our first major correction because I wanted to track this down and make sure I was remembering it right. This is actually from 2 into 556 won't go, the Wahitaki thing. Yes. Yeah, I like now I see the scene and I know what yeah. There's this crooked cop who's working for these these gangsters who have this deal with the military base and he takes Jim out but he puts down the walkie-talkie so that his boss can hear what Jim is going to right. say, but then he takes the ID back to the... Anyway, I don't think that changes our pick, mm-hmm. but the details of it were... I was like, oh, right, this is what I remembered, because it's where Jim has the situational awareness to to, to flip the, the walkie-talkie to, you know, the yeah. other way so he can hear them talking, and that 
gets him going in the rest of the episode. Anyway, so correction. All right. Got that one wrong. <laughs> uh, but it still uh, it still went down to uh, setting up his own alibi from the re- reincarnation of Angie. Oh, God. This was a delight to rewatch. Reincarnation of Angie is like Sleeper, a really great episode. Yeah. I might have said that when we did that episode, but yeah, it really just is full of good stuff. The, the setup here is that Jim comes in pretending to be his own boss or somebody with some authority asks a secretary to call another office to see if Jim Rockford has been there yet. <laughs> Setting up the fact that he should be there. He gathers information while this is happening. Everyone can't help but gossip with him in this, uh, which is great throughout. Uh, one of the things I love is that he bothers to pull the Clark Kent Superman thing. Yes. Yeah, with the glasses. <laughs> So he's got the glasses on, he's got his hair done, and he's he's very officious, and that's how he presents authority to this one secretary. When he goes to the other secretary, he takes his glasses off and messes up his hair, but there's no... It's just getting into character. Yeah, yeah. It's doubtful that they'll compare notes or somebody will stumble upon him, but whatever. When he comes into that office, I know that this isn't like the reason why we nominated it, but after he sets up the alibi, when he comes into that office... And he starts talking about a traffic accident. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I am really sorry. I got hung up in traffic. Are you Mr. Rockford from the county tax office? Right, right. Well, listen, why is it when you're going down the freeway, there's an accident on the other side of the divider. Everybody in your lane stops to look at the accident. What, do they uh, want to see blood or something? Everybody Mr. In the Rockford, right... apparently there's somebody from your office who's been looking for you downstairs. Oh, that's just Stovall. He's supposed to run the tapes out of the accounting department anyway. Oh, is just beautiful because it's exactly the concern that somebody who isn't trying to sneak into an office would have. <laughs> right? Like he, sure. He's trying to establish that he's late uh, to let anybody who's there know that why he might be late because he knows that somebody might be trying to check up on him. Uh, it, the layers, it's wonderful. It's a delicious onion. You just peel away each layer, eating it raw. That's how you eat onions? Yes. <laughs> uh yeah oh boy yeah i mean this is a tough matchup for me i think these yeah. are both like jim at his height i really love that the polish wedding feels like it's going to fall apart at any moment in the reincarnation angie i don't think it feels like it's going to come apart there's great bits where he he, he starts describing the her boss reading. as yeah he's like tall skinny gray hair and she's like no actually he goes oh right yeah yeah that guy like yeah so oh. that's um they're both they're kind of showcasing two different sets of skills a little bit uh mm-hmm. the only kind of criticism that comes to mind for the uh scene from the reincarnation of angie is that the manner in which the secretary he ends up talking to at the end uh spills all the gossip is right. is very in service of moving the plot along right a little info dumpy yeah it's a little info dumpy not in a bad way like uh, again i'm i think we talked about this in in our episode um sometimes that just has to happen and like that's fine yeah yeah uh but in terms of a little nugget of jim fast talk effectiveness that is slightly less because of what jim is doing and slightly more because the plot requires this to happen i mean it all is because of the plot but like you know yeah yeah i know what you get at the florist scene has a little bit more a to b of seeing why the guy tells Jim what he tells him while being kind of reluctant and suspicious, but also the stakes are low. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And then at the end, Jim wraps up by being like, oh no, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. 
Yeah. <laughs> if he asked you for roses, then send roses. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of invalidates the entire conversation in terms of it being a real conversation, but it kind of gives the the florist guy no reason to really follow up on this. Like, he doesn't have to change anything. Um, yes, exactly. Which is a nice little Philip on the end there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What are you thinking? It was almost a coin toss for me. I had written down Reincarnation of Angie, but I don't think... I, I think you might have just talked me into... Uh, it's <laughs> just another Polish wedding. The other thing about that is that this this scene encapsulates a, a thing that he does a lot. Again, it's kind of a signature thing, right? Where he's the, you know, the insurance guy trying right. to track down someone for an inheritance or he's from the county tax assessor and he just needs to see some records. Just these like very specific jobs that he has just enough cover to talk someone into what he needs to know and then he leaves without having actually changed anything because that's not what he's after right yeah all right let's do it yeah let's 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 call it for just another polish wedding i mean i love that scene from from reincarnation of angie but in terms of a best fast talk this is slightly faster talk yeah yeah this one's more of like you could see him pulling on all of those on the fly where the reincarnation of angie probably had a little more prep a little more setup, yeah. All right, so uh, I think we got another correction. Yeah, so our next bracket, we have our this this thing about the Oakline Slumber Chamber. Now, this is a double a double whoopsie <laughs> because first of all, this phrase is not from Tall Woman in Red Wagon. It's actually yes. also from Two into Five Fifty Six Won't Go. <laughs> Maybe it's time to watch that episode again. And it's not part of a con. It's actually just a one-liner. But it's a perfect one-liner. Mahogany Hall? Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? But I didn't invent it. I just worked for him. But it's like I told Quentin. Mahogany Hall is the Oakland Library of Slumber Chamber. Um, But the scene from Tall Woman in Red Wagon does involve uh, making funeral arrangements. Yes, but it's also not quite the scene I think you were thinking of. Yes. So I was conflating two scenes from this episode. Uh, what we did end up with, though. So let's conflate those two scenes. Yeah. So let's reimagine this entry in context of Tall Woman in Red Wagon. There's one scene where he has to find out where a body has gone on. Uh, been delivered after it went on a train and the uh, official behind the counter isn't going to give that up. We, I, this may even be the first time we see the printing press. I think it is because this is like the fourth episode, I think, of season yeah, one. It's early. It's the fifth episode. Sorry. He walks up to this guy. He uses the, the business card. Uh, he uses some great fast talk. How does the shipment of this casket yesterday affect all this? Miss Susan Dusky paid for our executive box. That's the 30756 model, and she was given the 30756-A, which is a cheaper model. It doesn't have the uh, fluted scrolled handles or the double-lined satin headdress. Well, actually, it's my fault. I usually handle all these purchase orders myself, but this particular one was handled by Miss Turkel. She made the mistake. Well, he didn't sell the wrong one. His assistant did because he brings in his uh, the uh, the reporter who is his kind of yeah the woman who who's his client uh, yeah. in for these cons. I will note it looks like in the background she's losing it yeah. while he's doing it too, <laughs> which is great. It's a great detail. Okay, we've done this out of a little bit of out of order. What this 
scene is up against is the time pressured working man. So this scene is up against the archetype that it belongs to, mm-hmm. which is maybe a, a, a little bit of a flaw in our system here, but that's fine. Sometimes you get just positioned against a powerhouse. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun little scene. Uh, I think the, the superset of time pressured working man should advance here. Cause this is yeah. an example of that, but the scene that I, I can remember this, but I could not find it. I was skimming through episodes. So maybe a listener will remember, or maybe we just both have, uh, have have made up the scene but there's a scene <laughs> where jim's in like a train station or an airport or something and he's on the phone and he's having one conversation on the phone and he's having another conversation with a yeah. person and they're both in service of a con does that yes i know what you're talking about i can't remember what that's from and i think that's the thing i was trying to think of that's what you were describing when we did this so yeah. you know if if we ever find that scene maybe it'll be maybe it'll get a buy in our uh, you know in our next malibu madness and this episode does have a great phone scene in it right. where he's investigating somebody telling him that he's calling his insurance but it's not so great as to be a part of this category. Um, so let's put our mistakes in the past here. Time pressure working man. Time time pressure working man gets kind of gets a buy into the quarterfinals. <laughs> yes. Uh, especially since it, it just beat out the other category, uh, the bureaucratic word spewing. Mm-hmm. So from fast talk to the larger con. Now this is another category where every one of our competitors is an entire episode right they're either the whole episode is the con or they're such an intricate part of the episode that you can't really just watch a scene uh so this is another one where we're just going to kind of go with uh what we know first up we have counter gambit verse uh which beat out the big ripoff against the aaron ironwood school of success which had beat out the movie a blessing in disguise uh now the counter gambit one this is the uh necklace this is the uh stolen necklace thing and aaron ironwood is aaron ironwood's con that he's running on jim which is pretty convoluted uh in a good way like i don't want (laughs) to uh but I think for me, this was actually kind of an easy choice. I mm. think Counter Gambit is really good. Yeah, I think I'm there too. It's just Aaron Ironwood is is that is a little more Rockfordy in the sense of having this kind of bureaucratic angle right. on the con. Um, but Counter Gambit is just like a. It even has that element where it trips you up as an audience member because it sets you up to expect a thing that itself is part of the the con. So then when you get the reveal, you're like, oh, yes. I see I see why specifically why Angel made that decision. I think we talked about that element in the in our last episode, but so it's when Angel is brought in to impersonate the fence that the guys who yes. have the real necklace want to get it evaluated. Angel tells them it's a fake necklace. All right, what's it worth? Well, depends on the workmanship. If it's good, necklace could bring uh, $50, $75. What are you talking about? It's paste. Can't be. Gentlemen, you asked for an expert opinion. Paste! Here, here. Take a close look yourselves. Come on, look at this. Now, do you see the pale blue aura? That's what we call it, an aura. You see it? Yeah. It's bad. Let me show you something else. Look at this. Look closer. It's round. It's a pearl. It's man-made. Not even one of your cultivated pearls. You see, nature don't make them perfect. 
that's the thing you got to keep in mind. Pearls are tricky. Anything else I can do for you? <laughs> they check and they find out that Angel's Angel, not a fence. So yes. they go to confront him and he sells out Jim. And you're like, oh my God, Angel, of course you did that because you're Angel. And then they go to the real fence. They switch the necklace. I, I can't remember the exact order. Yeah, Angel tells them that it's fake. Because they have a fake real fence, right? Well, then they have the real fence, but the real fence is, is now part of Jim's con. So he also tells them it's a fake. It's flesh. It's what? Yeah, good quality. I never saw the inside of an oyster. That ain't a phony. Can't be a phony. I spent 40 years in this business. I'm telling you, that ain't worth two bits. But Jimmy ain't got the real ones. I know that for sure. So they go and switch it, but they had the real one. They switch it for the fake, and then Angel was part of the con to convince them to go to the fence. And then they get it appraised a third time by a, a third fence, and he's like, oh, no, this is fake. And... <laughs> Yeah. By then, they've recovered the real one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, that's all to say that it has that layer within layer plot that is just so fun to watch unfold. While the Aaron Ironwood School of Success is more of a framework for the uh, uh, drama of, of the Jim trying to get out of trouble, which is really what that episode is more about. Counter Gambit is uh, another go-to episode if... if uh... If somebody's like, hey, I, I'm in town for the night. Uh, <laughs> I just want to see what this Rockford Files is about. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. So uh, in the other half of this uh, category here, we have uh, there's one in every port which had beat out Chicken Little is a little chicken mm-hmm. uh, in the first round. So it's got to be good. Right. Um, and then uh, the Farnsworth stratagem, I think. Uh, one of the earliest episodes. Is this the first episode we did? I keep thinking, I keep asking we, this, I think. It's the second or third? Right. Uh, versus the Italian bird fiasco. And uh, this is another one where I think that, um, I don't think it's necessarily a easier pick. I just have enough of a fondness for one in this, one mm-hmm. of the ones in this category that I just went with it. Yeah. Uh, how about you? So this one, I did go back. I did review the last part of Farnsworth stratagem just because it's been so long, because I think we were talking about how we couldn't quite remember how it all resolves. Right. Yeah. So, so Jim is, is pretending to be this, uh, Oklahoma oil man, Farnsworth, who's bought the mineral rights to the ground underneath the uh, timeshare hotel that Dennis and um, Peggy have bought into. That is going to end up costing them a whole bunch of money because it's actually a mob front, basically, to bilk all these investors out of their money. Jim's whole deal is to scam them out of money in order to pay back that investment so that uh, Dennis and also by extension extension deal because deal also bought yes, in on Dennis's recommendation. Right. So that they to buy out their shares so that they don't get taken down with this whole ship. So he has an oil rig drilling in front of <laughs> this hotel. <laughs> we have the delightful thing with with uh, Rocky's kind of the like crew boss, but then Angel's the one hiring guys and they're all, you know, they're all low lifes, et cetera, et cetera. At the end, Jim learns that the that the people who actually are running the scam are mobsters. They're not yes. just scam artists. They're actual organized crime. And he's like, oh, if, if it's actual mobsters, then they're just going to kill me. Right. <laughs> the stakes for this just got way higher. I need to get out. So he goes to, you know, his contact and tells him I'm a scam artist. You know, th- I'm a con man. This is a con. There's no oil here. There's no natural gas. That's what they're drilling for is natural gas. Oh, okay. It's all a con. Uh, 
there's all these fabricated documents that the guy believes. And then the mobster shows up. Well, how soon do we hit? Well, we're not going to hit oil or anything else. Lloyd showed me the reports. They're phony. I've been running a scam. I'm not Farnsworth from Oklahoma. I'm Rockford from Los Angeles. There's not any oil here, and there never will be. We're paying a very big price. Believe me, there's not any oil here. Now, I level with Lloyd. If he brings you into this thing, you're going to get stung, and I don't want any part of that. If there's no oil, how come you put up this rig? Because I wanted people to think there was. I'm telling you the truth, Mr. Christian. You're, you're not a man I'd lie to. I'm not a guy Lloyd would lie to either. He made a mistake with me once. He's not dumb enough to do it again. So like the man told you, sell. You don't give me much choice. I give you no choice. Well, it's against my will. Sure. Now, you just remember that Lloyd brought you into this thing, not sure. me. Re- sure. You remember that. Sure. And then they hit water, which they've been <laughs> saying that's the first sign of natural gas. But then it right. it's, it's part of the con because they were drilling for the water main. Yes. But he got paid. Is as we find out in the last scene, he did manage to pay off everyone's issue, right? So yeah. it ended up working, even though he tried to stop it before <laughs> things went south for him. <laughs> and that one, it's up against, there's one in every port, which is uh, another team of con artists. Uh, he's got like an elite group, or maybe elite's not what I'm thinking <laughs> of, but like a very specific group. It's con artists that another con artist wouldn't know. Right. That's right. Just lay it off on old Angel. What do you think I like hanging around Kenny's apartment while he takes one more shower, dropping tidy wipes all over the place? Plus, he calls me a halibut, whatever that means. Well, why didn't you get little Annie or the Greek? They said they wouldn't do it. They said the last time they were in a con with you, it blew sky high. Besides, you said that these operators, they couldn't know Eddie Marks. Well, that kind of cuts the feel down. What does he mean by calling me a halibut? It's a fish that swims on the bottom. Okay, well, I'm leaning towards Farnsworth. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how you're feeling, but uh, that one has a special place in my heart, so I'm rooting for it. Uh, But I can be convinced otherwise. Not saying you have to convince me otherwise. We kind of went over the plot of this one in every port in the last episode. It, it, yeah, it's all about getting getting out of this debt that he owes this mob that this mobster thinks he owes to him because a bunch of money got stolen from a poker game that Jim got set up to be in. Yes, was the mark in that con, but now he has to run another con to get all that money back from, uh, and it revolves around um, this ship that has multiple can get counted twice because of how it's registered and blah blah. Now, one one of the things this definitely has going for it is that it's. I mean, they're both dealing with criminals in different ways and stuff like that. But this one, it really has to be an exquisite con right? to con a con who had just conned Jim. So there's that. Right. And the climax involves uh, treasury certificates. Oh, yes. Right? Or stock certificates. <laughs> stock certificates. Or bearer bonds. Is it bearer bonds? I don't remember exactly. It's almost always bearer bonds. They just really like <laughs> Some their kind of bonds. monetary document that gets exchanged yeah. for cash. And then I just remember the like the the con man and his daughter, the two that originally conned Jim, are are celebrating with champagne and they spill some on the documents and all the ink starts running because they're fake. And that's the revelation that it was that they were conned the whole time, right? So it is a great yeah. little climax there. Um so there's one in every port is closer to Counter Gambit in that it's a real layers right. of fiction in order to get to the goal con game. The Farnsworth stratagem, you see Jim building the con 
you kind of see yeah. everything. There's not a lot hidden from you because we're seeing it all from Jin's perspective. Uh, I mean, I just like that one too. It's very Rockfordy. They yeah. both are, but uh, I kind of want to advance it just because it is different. Let's go with our hearts then. Yeah, and again, if you just want to watch one, I don't know. I guess depending on my mood, I would recommend both of these. Uh, if you just want to watch one Rockford Files episode, what are you doing listening to us? <laughs> like, what is your problem? What? Who broke you? All right, we are now on to the last category here: the best dialogue. Yeah. Uh, the first pairing in this is. Bees Die of Loneliness from If the uh, Frame Fits and also from My Ab Tattoo. <laughs> this is delivered by Dennis uh, completely out of context. Uh, we talk about that in the previous episode. You Really all you need to know about it mm-hmm. is Dennis out of nowhere. You know that bees can die of loneliness? Yeah. Well, they can. It's great. It's up against... I brought you over here, I invite you to dinner so we can sit down and discuss everything, and instead of a little honor and decency, you feed me an ice cream sandwich! Delivered by uh, the urban horticulturalist from Chicken Little is a Little Chicken. Chester Sierra. Chester Sierra, yes. This one's another fun one to have gone back and watched. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, I should have said what they beat out the last time. Uh, this one beat out what we've been talking about this whole time, which is the, uh, Gabby and Gandy going into the Nazi bar, right. uh, scene. Uh, so there's a little bit of weight on the chicken <laughs> little is a little chicken one here. Um, and the bees died of loneliness beat out, uh, the scene from, uh, the Italian bird fiasco. There is another Dennis scene. This is the one where Dennis knows that after having this conversation on the phone, that Jim is not actually turning himself in. Uh, so this is a heartbreaking one for me because I have a choice and it's not the choice I want. <laughs> <laughs> I will say yes. that as a moral offset for advancing Angel over Dennis, <laughs> oh, I can see oh, God. <laughs> advancing Bees Die of Loneliness to give the old broken Dennis representation in our tournament. Oh God, that doesn't, that makes it harder. (laughs) So (laughs) I went with Chester Sierra. Yeah. Uh, This whole bit, like I can't tell you how much this has changed my life (laughs) watching this scene, but I got to say, Bees Died of Loneliness did change my life as well. I at least changed my flesh. (laughs) As we maintain the fiction that I've gotten this tattooed on my body. Um, but, uh, from the, the whole pizza routine, uh, it's okay. Like I could show you where the, this ice cream sandwich monologue is, but just as it spreads out in both directions Mm -hmm. into so much wondrous stuff. Yeah. It just is some of the most Rockfordish is this dialogue that, that we have in this category that I can't imagine not going with it. I was willing to go the other way if if there was a strong play, but if you're yeah. leaning towards the urban horticulturalist, I can't disagree with your assessment. We have been quoting this line yes. since we watched this episode consistently. Mm-hmm. So it has been years that we've referenced <laughs> yes. this guy and talked about this line. And uh, so, yeah, I think it, it moves up. I mean, there's people in my social circle in real life who talk about the urban urban horticulturalist. <laughs> um, I will say in my heart of hearts, bees die of loneliness is one of the most poetic and beautiful moments in television history and really deserves an immemorium moment at the end of the show. <laughs> but we have to end it here. 
we have to go forward mm-hmm. uh, with Chester Sierra's You Feed Me an Ice Cream Sandwich. All right. The last last pairing in this category and in all the categories until we move on to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. First up from Hotel of Fear, we have Angel, who is contemplating whether or not he has the right to choose who lives and dies. <laughs> Muriel is dead. D on the ED. Now, what am I going to do? Bring her back to life? Who am I? Am I God? Which, which beat out Angel, who is begging Jim to help him by calling upon the fact that uh, Jim is his friend from... Um, also from Chicken Little. So little chicken. Yes. Uh, all right. So Hotel of Fear, Who Am I, God? Mm-hmm. And that's up against uh, the Just Keep Laughing line, the ending of The Countess, uh, our first episode. Mm-hmm. It beat out the reliable but chicken. This is the category, part of the category. This is Jim's uh, philosophical uh, yeah. underpinnings here. I guess that's a penalty we pay for living in a world where all the price tags end 99 cents and they sell mortuary plots on billboards next to the freeway. What you do is you just keep laughing. Uh, I went back and rewatched both of these. Mm-hmm. Angel is just a delight. It's just such a perfect angel yeah. bit. There's there's some great stuff about him going back and forth and the cops like he, the cops are whatever Angel needs the cops to be to justify what Angel has to say in the moment. So right. he's just kind of going back and forth about them being useless or being the greatest police force in the country. And the ending of it is great. You watch throughout it as Jim like peeks out his blinds and he realizes mm-hmm. that the cops have shown up. <laughs> I'm not even sure if it's a joke in a cut or just a perfect cut. Mm-hmm. The cops have shown up at, at Rockford's to pick up Angel. Rockford lets them in. How did they know where to find me? Cut to the lieutenant. Mr. Rockford plays a very prominent role in your known associate file. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not the point of this. The point of it is Angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I originally proposed this one. I was kind of scrolling through episodes that I kind of remembered. And I was like, I know there's something in here. Once he started on his path i was like oh this one's so good um i mean angel has this messianic complex throughout right like kind of as a little subtext to his character like he either is being totally martyred or he has some kind of special special cleverness or special power that other people don't have and that's why he's so good at whatever con he's trying to run um so just this little moment where he's like who am i god just (laughs) seems so perfectly angel to me it's telling that some of our favorite angel lines are when he's vulnerable. Cause this does seem like self-reflecting rather than just a con. He's, he's panicked. And so we're kind of seeing his, his truest self and his truest self is this incredibly back and forth, confused, unable to pick between all of his competing drives, uh, person and just trying to find every excuse not to do the thing that he knows he needs to do. I mean, it's great. I love that one. Uh, the monologue, I mean, it's dialogue, but the Jim's, bit from the end of the countess is uh it combines the philosophical outlook of jim rockford with some great rockford word choice some great rockford diction right with everything ends in 99 cents and burial plots are sold on billboards next to the highway like all that stuff which i think kind of elevates it even more a little bit quick honorable mention to dennis uh just before the scene you like this jerk don't you I don't like him. I owe him a punch in his belly, and I can't collect if he's doing time. 
Wonderful. So here's the thing. Uh, this line, this moment, this dialogue that he has with the Countess, um, with Jim all bandaged up in the hospital, uh, she's openly weeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's incredibly tender, and it is the message you need. Mm-hmm. I, I'm leaning towards this one because I think that this is just perfect not just perfect jim mm. but like why i watch the goddamn rockford files <laughs> you know what i mean like it just yeah it's a little it's a little melancholy yes but it's not sad no yeah it's like no this is the way things are yeah you're going to fake it mm-hmm. that's what we have to do isn't that funny I, I, that's where i'm leaning yeah i mean i think also for me just because angel did advance in his bracket i'm i'm willing to give the edge to uh to this expression of of core gym philosophy all right okay all right so so we're gonna go ahead and go through each region and and crown their champions uh yeah so let's start off best dialogue feed me an ice cream sandwich versus just keep laughing oh my god okay uh i was honestly hoping we'd have time before we came back to this no we can start no no no. the other one like a band-aid <laughs> we've got to rip it off so these are i mean i feel like these are all going to be have to have to come from the gut right because yeah we're just looking at these now my my gut reaction is just because it incorporates more people and has more turns of phrase that feeding me an ice cream sandwich has the edge for me all right, let's do it. Let's just do it. Uh, I really cannot decide between the two. I think the Countess one is uh, just completely beautiful, but uh, the ice cream sandwich is so incredibly Rockford. Mm-hmm. All right. Counter Gambit versus Farnsworth in the category of best con. Oh, boy. So now we're getting down to the very technical bits of it. I think Counter Gambit might be just the best con. Yeah, these are all going to be either technical technical things or just like slight edges, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, if the category is con, I think for all the things we talked about, the Farnsworth stratagem, we see the con unfold. So it's nice to see Jim doing what he does uh, from the inside. But Counter Gambit brings us along for the ride. And yeah. I think that's the fun of the con trying to outguess what's going to happen. So so now are we going to just do the, yeah. the champion? Okay. So the region four, the Marks and Gas champion, uh, after all of this has come down to counter gambit versus you feed me an ice cream sandwich. And uh, this is where the nonsense really comes home to roost, yeah, right? This is where we've really given ourselves uh, <laughs> just the worst. Why did we do this? Uh, I partially think we're going to run into this problem, and this is a fine and delightful problem to run into, where larger categories beat the others, right? Like, I feel like the con is bigger than the dialogue. Sure. So it would run over it. So unless you feel... Well, tell me what you're thinking here. So, yeah, the whole point of these is that these are just going to be, like weird category errors and (laughs) obviously those are not comparable things. So considering the overall frame of like best thing of the show. Yeah. Which of these things is most dear to us about the Rockford files? Yeah. Maybe that is a better way to think about it. Oh, okay. You've convinced me. I'm voting ice cream sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to, but now you've convinced me. Yeah. Because if we just look in terms of like importance, then I think 
everything on an episode scale is going to be more important than anything inside an episode. I think the only way to think about this that'll make this interesting is, yeah, what yeah. is what do we hold most dear as like, I love this about this show? Uh, yeah, I think because of all the things we've said so far about how much that the ice cream sandwich has gotten into our... Our lexicon? Yeah, um... How you feeling about that? Let's do it. I'll right. take that. I mean, Counter Gambit's a great episode, but there's another category for great episodes. So you tell me there's going to be a regional four championship and then you feed me this ice cream sandwich. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we're going up to Jim's world. Mm-hmm. And in Jim's world, we have to figure out the best Jim fast talk. This is, uh, again, this is the Polish wedding where he goes into the florist mm-hmm. versus the larger category of the time pressured working man. And we have another one where it feels like, oh, no, there's no time pressure in this one. No. This is the opposite. This this is a bureaucratic word spew. Kind of. Example. Something along those lines. Yeah. It's kind of in the middle. I kind of, I think I'm leaning towards the time pressured working man on this one. I think so, too. I think it's a time pressured working man is, is this construct that we use as shorthand for all of these cons. Yeah. It's something that we that is that feels so core to Jim's identity as a PI that he's developed that ability and while the specific weird job uh patter from just another Polish wedding is a very is very fun um it's not something that yeah that I hold dear that particular one yeah. is not like one that I come back to over and over so Right. Okay, and this is where we we just completely ourselves because <laughs> now we have to choose between beth and angel mm-hmm. i used this analogy uh last episode but if uh i was in a sinking boat and i had to save one of them it's beth yeah i'm not thinking about that at all but uh when it comes to who i'd rather watch on screen it's so tough it's hard to say no to Angel. It's I could just see him pleading. But considering his representation in the other brackets, even in this round, <laughs> I'm okay being like, you know what? We will still see Angel. If these are the only things we get to see of the show for the rest of time, we'll yeah. still see Angel. Uh, I'm with you. I like I do find myself in the later Rockford Files missing Beth. I do miss her in like earlier ones too. Not so much. I mean, because we've been watching them out of order, but like, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's go Beth. And I'll be honest with you. uh, Whoever won that was going to win the region two championship. (laughs) You're not. There's no doubt in my mind about that. That that Beth beats the time pressured working man for Jim's world. It would be monstrous to think otherwise, right? Or do you do you disagree with me? Am I if I called you a monster by accident? No, you haven't <laughs> called me a monster. This one I want to think about just for a second. I'll give you some time. Coming from the Jim's world framing. This is like intrinsic versus extrinsic, right? Like yeah. time pressured working man is a Jim thing that Jim does, while Beth is a person <laughs> who's <laughs> very important to Jim. Yeah. I will be honest with you, Beth carries the weight of uh Jim and Beth their whole deal. Right. And she also carries Carries the weight of beating Rocky. Yes. <laughs> and Billings. Yes, and Billings. Poor Billings. Jim can... Okay. Jim can fast talk in lots of ways, but there is only one Beth. There you go. There you go. 
<laughs> However you have to justify it as long <laughs> as you come to the right answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Let's go over to the Gas and Gangsters. All right. Best villain, uh, Dave Delarue versus the mayors. I mean, Dave Delarue could clean a whole room full of mayors. <laughs> yeah, the, the mayors have no chance versus Dave Delarue. Dave Delarue has bought the mayor. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and is making all of the money off of those uh, fake tax breaks that they thought they were going to yeah i mean like that that one was just one of those that was going to come out in the brackets right like mm-hmm. it, like you could watch that bottom bracket yeah it, it, it may have been a different thing if dave Delarue, if like for instance if we had swapped anthony boy with electric larry sure uh then we might have had uh a different ending to this but sometimes that's just how it goes down yeah yeah all right, this one's whew, best car chase. Semi chase in the desert versus J turn parking lot strategy. Whew, they're both wonderful. Yeah, one is uh, early Rockford, like establishing what this is all about, and the other is like later Rockford showing that this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 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 torn here. Part yeah. of me wants to go with the Rosendahl because it's got the Firebird. Yeah. Uh, and because, it, like I said, it's just like a perfect chase. But I, I, I do think, almost by virtue of its length, the uh, Dark and Bloody Ground one has um, more storytelling going on in it. So when we talked about this, the one from Rosendahl and Gilda Stern is, I think I framed it as, this is a great example of a typology. Right. While the semi-chase in the desert is its own wonderful little unit. Yeah. And I kind of am leaning towards that just because so far we haven't seen anything like it. And if the category is car chase, that is a car chase. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sorry, Firebird. You you did well. Okay, so... All right, so (laughs) Dave Delarue versus the semi-chase in the desert. Now, one thing that we we don't know about Dave here, he's very capable in many ways, but we never have a car chase with Dave, so we don't know how he would handle himself against the semi in the desert. He does try to escape in a car, but Jim throws paint on his windshield from his studio, if you'll remember. That is wonderful. So he ends up steering into a tree or something and is thus caught by, uh, by Jim. So in that instance, Jim out... You know, he he is not as uh, wheel savvy because Jim would have gotten paint thrown on his windshield and figured figured that out, I think. Yeah, I you know, I got to say I'm leaning I'm leaning to Dave. I don't know if this is like I'm biased towards people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I am leaning towards Dave. He's such an exemplar of his category. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess the same could be said at the semi, but um uh, maybe it's just the momentum of how well Dave cleared out the mayors. <laughs> I don't know. How are you feeling? I feel like I'm, I'm having an urge here to kind of push against the obvious. Right. Yeah. Uh, a contrarian. A contrarian. Kind of... Yes. I, I, feel, I feel a contrarian feeling coming on because I kind of really love that chase. Yeah. I rewatched it today. I sat in my chair feeling <laughs> tension in yeah. my muscles watching it, even though I've seen it before. I know what's going to happen. Um, Dave is a great villain, but he does lose 
to Jim while Jim wins the car chase? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you here, but I do think maybe this is a point for a coin toss. Okay. I can't just let the car chase beat Dave. I mean, I think I'm also try- pushing, trying to push a little against the, yeah, giving giving individuals right. the primacy. All right. So here's the thing. If it comes down to a coin toss yes. and the semi-chase wins, I'll feel bad because I think you're probably <laughs> right. So if that's how I feel, then we should probably advance Dave. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Unless I've talked to you the other way. No, that's actually half the uh, reason for a coin toss. Right, is to make you think, how will I react when if I get yeah. one versus the other? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So Dave advances. Yes. Uh, is the Region 3 champion. Yes. As, I mean, honestly... You knew it was going to happen. His karate skills are too <laughs> advanced. John Saxon's uh, karate skills yes. are legendary, or Saxton. Uh, now All we right. have uh, the most rock traditionist, mm-hmm. which is the uh, ice skate rink hostage exchange versus the Arnold Love hot dog scene. So these are two. These are so different. So this one's hard. I think I'm leaning one way or another. I, I don't specifically. I think I know which way I'm leaning. Mm-hmm. Going by the like, which of these do I hold most dear? Uh, I think the ice rink hostage exchange is more in my heart. It is one of the first things I thought of for the category. Right. Upon reviewing it, it it was exactly what I remembered. Um, but <sighs> the hot dog is like extremely good, and we talked about all the ways in which it like encapsulates. So much rock traditionness. Yeah, I think I am leaning the the feeding frenzy as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as that scene started, I just like the awkwardness of like having to go over the sides of the rink to get into the middle. Uh, I think what really what really makes it is how the people all slow down. Yeah, exactly. And how like everyone's just watching them and they're just moving really slowly because they're on skates, so they still have momentum. <laughs> it's just shot so well. Nobody draws a gun, but the that one guy is reaching for one yeah and everyone's like what is going on okay so ice rink it is we've talked ourselves into it all right now best episode quickie nirvana versus paper palace oh man so if we were if we're going to go to ratings for this tiebreaker quickie nirvana would win just throwing that out there uh maybe that's the way we gotta go uh and they're both award-winning they're both award-winning they're both um have really interesting and well-drawn female characters, which is great. Yeah. Um, one of them is very much Jim, and the other one is Jim and his friends. Yeah. Oh boy. I think I do. I think I do lean Quickie Nirvana here. It's it's slightly, and this is just like a total, just personal feeling. You know, tipping things one way or the other. It's just yeah. slightly purer of a of a plot. Yeah. Like it's it's just slightly more focused as a story, and so like perfectly balanced as a humorous episode with with weight to it. Though I guess in both of these, the like the actual like crime mystery is a little like eh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what's great about the show is it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. I mean the ones that are about the crime are about the crime and the ones that aren't don't waste the audience's yeah, exactly. mental cycles on stuff that isn't as important. So yeah, are we good? We're good. 
elevating Quickie Nirvana to winner best episode. Yeah, which means the Quickie Nirvana has to go head to head with the Ice Rink Hostage Exchange for the Region One Championship. Yeah. And uh, again, this is one of those categories where I feel like there's a weight on Quickie Nirvana. Yeah. That said, like I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking up this Ice Rink moment. <laughs> Uh, I think the weight on Quickie Nirvana. Yeah, I think one of the reasons it is the best episode is be- is because it contains much rock freshness. Yeah, it has the like hippie commune with the vegetables. It has the uh, weird backhanded jokes about karma. It has the the burger scene where he like lays it all down on Scott. It has uh, Dennis moonlighting as a oh yes like at in like a pizza stand because they're staking someone out yeah uh that's a good one okay quickie nirvana is a region one champion yes well now we're on to the semifinals. now this is where it becomes utterly impossible for me uh, not to look forward right and i just want to point out where we're at uh first of all chicken little is a little chicken has a possible shot at revenge against Quickie Nirvana, <laughs> right? That's true. Because the ice cream sandwich monologue from Chicken Little is a Little Chicken is Region 4 champion. If it wins its semifinals and Quickie Nirvana wins its semifinals, then the two would go head-to-head again in the championship. Right. Age-old rivalry, uh, Quickie Nirvana, Chicken <laughs> Little is a Little Chicken. Mm-hmm. But if we if it goes the other way, if it goes the other way of both categories, right. then we have <laughs> a portrait of Elizabeth redone here in 2020 <laughs> this is quite the matchup because this would be beth davenport versus dave delaro and what a matchup uh, but we're not there yet we have to deal with these semifinals i'm not gonna say that i didn't look ahead uh specifically when making the uh best villain uh pick oh really <laughs> yes <laughs> just from the order that we did it i was like mm. yeah <laughs> All right, so uh, let's start at the top. Yeah, let's start at the top. So Quickie Nirvana versus Beth. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which what I like nonsense. because Beth isn't in Quickie Nirvana that I yes. can recall. Um, okay. This is like this is really, really tough. It's the next level of something inside versus something larger, right? Like yeah. something inside an episode is hard to elevate over the episode, but an episode is hard to elevate over a character through multiple seasons. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, how do you even compare? <laughs> We've not thought this through. This is nuts. So All right, so my I I have a gut first reaction, but I don't want to prejudice it. you if you're working your way through through some stuff. I, I mean, I, I have a gut first reaction that I don't trust. Hmm. Okay. My feeling of what hurts the Rockford Files more, not having Quickie Nirvana or not having Beth. Right. Is, I mean, is, is, it's hard to say that not having Beth is better yeah. than the other way around. That uh, metric in, in this particular matchup and like a lot of these matchups, like with the, the best character and whatever it's, is elucidating, but it doesn't uh, like if we, if we drop it to the other semifinal, I think that that's when it becomes like, Oh my God. Yeah. What the, all right, let me look at this semifinal. Let me not look ahead here. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that was my gut was Beth. Um, I don't want to dis whatever. You, you're region one champion, Quickie Nirvana. You earned it, <laughs> but you're no Beth. Uh, as it turns out, nobody in the top half of this is a Beth. I think that's also weighted by, I think, our contention, right? Which is that yeah. the show does such a good job with its characters. 
that yeah. the characters really matter. Um, and so, yes, I will. I In this moment, sitting here today, this could change at some other day, yeah. some other set of brackets that we looked at. But sitting here right now, the best character in the show is superior to me over the best episode of the show. And that's not necessarily true of other shows, at least for me. Yeah. So I think you're right. Uh, so going down to the other semifinalists and using that same metric here, mm-hmm. very interesting because we'd be like, without Dave Delaro. <laughs> Uh, or without the, you feed me an ice cream sandwich, the Rockford Files could exist. I would bet for a lot of our listeners, the Rockford Files exists without one or the other of them because <laughs> they may not have caught that episode yet or or what have you. Dave Delaro, best villain I cannot versus trust myself. you feed me an ice cream sandwich, best dialogue in a show that I will argue is more memorable for its dialogue than for its villains, taken as an entire series. So here's here's the thing. Honestly, laying it all out on the line, I want to see Beth go up against Dave. <laughs> and that, that makes it so difficult for me to decide in this category because I do actually think you're right about the dialogue. I think... Because uh, at this point, right, these are kind of carrying the weight of their whole deal, right, along with them. Yeah. And maybe just to make our championship interesting, I don't know, maybe whisper in the ear of the refs a little bit and uh, <laughs> see if uh, Chester Sierra can slip a little little cheddar into right. some pockets <laughs> to get feeding me an ice cream sandwich all the way up to that semifinal slot. I, I like. I don't disagree with with any of that. Uh, obviously, with this sort of stuff, uh, you you have this thing where you're like, oh, but then if that was the way it was going to be all along. We can't look back. Can't look back. Yeah, can't look back. I think it depends. I mean, it depends on where they are in the standings. Like, they're the penumbra of meaning changes. Okay. This is why I am going to go against my desire to see Beth versus Dave Delaro. Uh, first of all, we've seen that play out. It's a wonderful episode, Portrait of Elizabeth. Right, you can go watch it. Second of all, uh, if you are a listener to uh, Plus Expenses, our companion podcast, you heard us try to sort out how to fill these categories in the first place are eight uh in each of the categories and one of the ones that didn't make it is the urban horticulturist chester sierra was up for best villain in the early early Mm -hmm. didn't quite make it in the the, in the play-in round yeah uh and uh so it's so this is the revenge of Chester Sierra? Well, the reason why Chester Sierra wasn't in it is because this scene was really all there was to Chester Sierra. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it is a little bit like the revenge of Chester Sierra. And also, like, this scene, being what it was, was almost strong enough to put that villain into the villain category. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm putting ice cream sandwich forward if you're doing it. I'll take it. If you if you don't need me to convince you anymore. <laughs> I was willing to go to a coin flip for this one if if we were in a deadlock. I will say that. Go watch a portrait of Elizabeth. Yeah, like it's great. just like it's it's a great great episode uh and you get that showdown that we're not going to get now because now we have Beth versus I brought you over here. I invite you to dinner so we can sit down and discuss everything and instead of a little honor and decency you feed me an ice cream sandwich. I know when I talked to local friends about this, when I said we were doing this, I think they predicted the winner that I'm about to choose. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think when we first started talking about this, one of our, this would be great if we go the opposite way, actually, but um, one of the jokes, but not really, I think that we made was like, but really, the best core character is going to end up winning, right? Yeah. I mean, 
I can't imagine that not being the case. Uh, this lets Billings be like, well, yeah, no, I just just up against the champion. I would have gone much further if that wasn't the case. Uh, yeah, I, we've talked about all the great things about you feed me an ice cream sandwich. But at the end of the day, if I have to take one thing out of the Rockford Files, while it would be a big blow to our show, we would have missed out on a lot of, of banter uh, without this scene. But are we really going to say that Beth Davenport is not the 2020 Malibu Madness champion of the Rockford Files? After beating Billings and then beating Rocky and then beating Angel who had beat Dennis. Right. Like if any of these categories carries the weight of all of the previous ones, this is the one. Uh, I think that not only does this seem like the obvious answer here, Mm. but I think we should make an oath now that the next time we do Malibu Badness, we don't include best core character. Right. (laughs) Because it's such, (laughs) such... Uh, a hard one to vote against. All right, let's make our case for ice cream sandwich, even though we both know... I'm already putting it in the slot, but no, let's... Well, yes, let us talk about the case for feeding me an ice cream sandwich. Yeah, let's, let's show the audience the game that the ice cream sandwich put up. So this scene beat Gandhi and Gabby punching Nazis, which already, yes. that's a <laughs> hell of an opener. It it beat our favorite individual line of bees dying of loneliness. Oh my God, yes. It beat Jim's mission statement of, you know, seeing the world, uh, you know, for all the, the parts that it's playing, but you just keep laughing. Like, you just have to be in on the joke. Yes. It beat the best con game episode of Counter Gambit. Yeah. And it beat Dave Delarue, the <laughs> Moriarty to yeah. Jim's <laughs> Sherlock. That is a hell of a pedigree. Yes, that's true. Uh Okay, okay. So I think you and I both are in agreement that Beth is taking this, right? Yes, I think Beth wins. I think there's just the weight of the character is is too strong. We did we did try to put it in the bracket again so it would face best episode, but Right. Yeah. So, okay, given that, uh and given that this like like all brackets could have played out differently had it been up against Quickie Nirvana or, you know, whatever. Uh, it certainly would not, I don't think, in my mind, played out differently if Beth was up against Dave Delarue. Uh I think Beth would definitely win. I don't think we'd be talking about it this much. I think we'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. no, she beats Dave. <laughs> yeah. There's Beth, and then you feed me an ice cream sandwich is almost everything that isn't Beth, right? Yeah. Like, it's Angel, <laughs> it's gangsters, it's dialogue, it's this weird right. crime, it's a uh, con game. So they actually have a little more valence versus each other. Yeah, I guess that that's what I'm uh, I'm thinking about here is that you feed me an ice cream sandwich, does it go the distance, right? That's the question. Does it, is it a last minute buzzer shot? I, I'm running out of uh, <laughs> sports metaphors, I understand. Is it close or is it, is Beth just like by halftime, it's clear that Beth is going to win. I think that when the second half starts, there's still a possibility. If everything goes right for yeah. you feed me an ice cream sandwich, there's a shot. But as the time ticks on, the it gets increasingly clearer that uh, that that th- this is fate. Angel draws a foul, and, <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, and, that's and Beth Davenport ends up with a strong but not not dominating it's not a blowout yeah but by like 10 minutes left you kind of know she's gonna walk away with it so that's what i say i'm in it yeah that's it that's that's the thing so uh well first of all a big congratulations to the 2020 uh malibu madness 
champion. Beth Davenport. She went the distance. And uh, obviously a big, big round of applause for all of our uh, quarterfinal champions. Mm-hmm. Creaky Nirvana, Dave Delaro, and you feed me an ice cream sandwich. Uh, and then uh, to all of our contestants here. I think this feels like it ended in, in the place that maybe it was fated to end the whole time, but I'm glad we went through it because yeah, uh, it was fun to revisit all this stuff. And I will go ahead and just point out that I think our uh, category winners is a hell of a set of things, right? Quickie Nirvana, Ice Rink Hostage Exchange from Feeding yeah. Frenzy, The Semi-Chase in the Desert, Dave Delaro. <laughs> From A Portrait of Elizabeth, yes. Beth Davenport, of course. The Time Pressured Working Man Fast Talk Construction for Jim. Counter yes. Gambit. And You Feed Me an Ice Cream Sandwich from Chicken Little is a Little Chicken. Yeah. Those winners feel like they they hit all of the quadrants of the things that are great about the Rockford Files. So I call that a success. Yeah, I think so, too. This, this was a lot of fun. I've got, like, <laughs> for something where we weren't sure... For something that was entirely arbitrary from the jump. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was meant to be less work, but I, it probably was more work than just doing an episode. Or yeah. was it meant to be less work? I mean, it was less work for me because oh, good. I do more of the talking in our normal episodes. So That's true, yes. <laughs> it, was a, it was an extremely refreshing change of pace to look at uh, the show a little more holistically yeah. for me. I think that like this was a lot of fun to just kind of look back uh refresh our memories on some of them i honestly like the homework exercises that we did this past week were just a delight uh it was very difficult to turn away from any episode <laughs> once it start going mm-hmm. i i am satisfied with these results I, there are certainly ones that i in the beginning i had uh hopes for <laughs> some of them made it uh, some of them uh didn't make it nearly as far as i had hoped but uh in the end i don't disagree with any of the the choices which uh, I think is probably inevitable since we both just agreed. I think we had some good points of contention and uh, we were able to kind of reframe things for each other in order to come to an agreement, which is what I think a productive conversation is all about. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, thank you all so much for hanging with us for Malibu Madness. It was fun for us. Uh, If you have thoughts or want to tell us how wrong we were with some of our picks, uh, feel free to tweet at us uh, nicely, please, uh, at 200pod or uh, come over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash 200 a day, where you can tell us all all of your thoughts. If you have gone through the trouble to fill out all of these brackets, I would love to see them. Mm, Like, I really would... Uh, love to see uh, I mean sure if you just have one or two that you're like really excited about tell us those but if you've printed this out and filled them all in I want to know absolutely so this was super fun we'll see if we do it in another four years when we have another 60 odd episodes of the show oh. under our belt <laughs> I'm not sure if it's uh, sustainable as a as an annual exercise but Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what happens next year. But I can tell you that we will be back next time in our usual format to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. Do you know that bees can die of loneliness? Well, they can. <laughs>